dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Imagine a world where Catholics gave the very best of themselves, where the spirituality of the church met up with the call for Christ to transform our culture. This is the world of the Catholic missionary entrepreneur. It's a world of innovation and courage. Here are some thoughts about that world, a world where we give God the very best of ourselves. Here are some thoughts for you. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm so honored to be able to address a few words to you today, speaking to you about something that might surprise you, and that is that you are here intended by God in order to win. <laughs> I know that that's a surprising statement, uh, but deep down inside, it fits very well with our culture. It fits very well with what we expect in a worldly sense of ourselves. Could you imagine having a child that would, uh, you'd send to high school saying, well, I hope that actually you don't get a good score on your ACT. Or that you would say, I'm not going to pay for you to go to college because college is really not that important after all. You don't do that, right? No, what we do instead is we say, we're going to send you to the best high school and we want you to go to the very best college, and we want you to score the very best that you possibly can on your ACT because we're intending on you to be a leader. And that whole idea of classification of leadership is something that sells. If I put a book out there saying how you're going to fail in life and not make any friends, nobody's going to buy it. But if I say how you can influence people and make friends, I'm going to be well, famous for the rest of my life. Uh, if you go back over the myths, you don't find heroes who fail, right? I mean, even if they fail, they fail heroically. The whole idea is that inside of the human heart, there's something that pushes us towards the heights. And I want that voice that's pushing you today towards the heights to reach inside your soul and to say, go to the heights that God has intended for you. And I know when I say this, we can misunderstand this in so many ways. And that's what I want to talk about you today. How is it that Jesus Christ shows us the true greatness that we were made for? 
And how is it that by accepting him into your life and into your heart, you can discover the greatness and the great plans that God has in store for you? And what does that mean? Right? And so, so many of us get confused about this that we get suspicious. And we get suspicious because we say, well, I don't think the gospel is really about greatness. It's about a whole different plan. Almost like you have the spiritual world out there and the spiritual world is somehow, well, is divorced from the normal world. In the normal world, we all want our football team to win. And the spiritual world, we should actually try if we were on that football team to lose, right? Like, I have no idea where this came from. I mean, historically, of course, I could go into it with you. But I think that that's beside the point. The, the point is that it's inside of us. That we think that somehow, as a Christian, we're supposed to be defeated. And since we're supposed to be defeated, and we don't want to be defeated instinctively, we put our Christianity on the side of our life. And so when we're in our marriages, when we're with our family, when we're with our kids, it's almost like there's two sides of us going on. There's the side of us that believes deep down inside and hopes deep down inside for great things, for happiness, for fulfillment, for, for, for self-satisfaction in, in a healthy sense of the term. And so we go to the gym and we work out and we do different forms of stretching and we get our, our six pack going strong, right? And then we, we take selfies of ourselves looking good and we, we post them for everyone to see and we celebrate that. And then when our friends post selfies of themselves looking good, well, we don't type back saying, oh man, you know, you should, you should, this is just a terrible thing that you look so good. We say, how did you do it? And, and, and that whole culture is something that's driving it. it it's present around us from the workout world to wanting a promotion at work to looking for a new car or at least a rent that on your apartment that you could afford with a view. There's deep down inside of us this quest and this thirst for a happiness and contentment. And, and, and then at the same time, when it comes to Christ and Christianity, well, suddenly we feel that that means that what I should basically do is obscure that part of myself. I shouldn't let that part shine. I shouldn't somehow be happy in life. And I think it's because deep down we've confused the message of Christ because we're afraid of corrupting it. But I'm going to show you a way where the full glory of the cross of Jesus Christ and his self-abnegation until death actually becomes the form of our true greatness. But to really embrace that, that upward call, as St. Paul says it, notice it's in Philippians chapter 3, the upward call in Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't say the downward call, but the upward call. To embrace the upward call that St. Paul talks about, to embrace that, that, that summons to heaven and to glory and to the white robes and the crowns and the palm branches and the songs of victory, that we know is promised to us, we have to accept deep down inside that we are made for that greatness. I think one of the biggest obstacles, in other words, to, to us actually achieving the call that Christ has given to us is that we're not ready to accept that Jesus wants us to be great. We have it in our heads somehow that he wants us to be a failure, that the greatness is somehow a threat to Jesus and to his call for us, that us unleashing the deep potentials that are inside of us will get in the way of God and his work. 
and, and of course, there's all kinds of scripture passages that corroborate this, right? I, I, I must decrease and he must increase. And so we say, okay, so throughout my life, I'm going to do that. But what I found that the greatest problem in our church today is, it, it's not that our, we, we are out there doing terrible things. It's that we just don't care enough to strive for the great ones. And that apathy that makes us lukewarm makes us those whom Christ would spit out of his mouth, as it says in the book of Revelation. He says, the cold I can stand and the hot I can stand, but the cold I wish I could spit them from my mouth. What does he mean by that? I think he means the same thing that he says in the gospel of St. Matthew, when he said, to whom shall I compare the children of this generation? They are like children in the marketplace that sit and say, we piped a tune for you, but you did not dance. We sang you a dirge, but you did not wail. It's Christ looking at, at King Herod and keeping silent as Herod, this man of corruption, this man of, uh, of, of outward manifestation, but of lack of character, dares to question him and challenge him to bear witness. Jesus doesn't even respond to him. Why? Because there's a lukewarmness there. There's an apathy in Herod. There's an apathy in the children of this generation. There's an apathy in, inside of a lot of us when it comes to our God. And I think that that apathy, what's at the root of it in your life? I want you to analyze it for you. Don't just say, oh, okay, this is for everybody else. I want you to think in your life, why is it that you're not fighting for your marriage? Why is it that you're not fighting to find more time to spend with your children? Why is it that you've given away to alcohol and that you, you fritter and waste the time away on every single weekend when you could be doing something better with your life and with your family? Why have you given up and allowed the voices of culture to come in and define for you what the culture in your home is going to be? Each one of those that I'm talking about, that's a quiet desperation that I think is really at the heart of what we call apathy today. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Quiet desperation. It's inside of me. I just have given up. And I'm saying, why have you given up? And it's because deep down, well, you've just chosen to grow numb, comfortably numb. Well, Christ is here to shake that that sleeping man, that sleeping woman in you awake. And to say, now is the time for you to rise from sleep, for you are a son of the morning and a daughter of the day, and you were not made for the night. All right, well then, what is that? How do I get roused? The very first thing that rouses me from that slumber of soul is for me to say, I am made for the light. I am made for glory. I am made for goodness. And I will not let that upward call in Christ Jesus go past me this day. No, I will rise and claim this day in his name. See, why would I claim it in his name? Why? Because I'm made for this. I was born for this. This is why he put me on this earth. To lay claim to this day, this moment, this relationship out of love for him. I think, in other words, that if you do not love yourself and, 
and, and, and lay claim to the right that you have yourself to receive the blessing of God, you will never allow yourself to enter into the mystery of the cross and see in that sorrow and in that, that sadness and in the suffering of the cross the hidden pearl that God wants to give you there. So we need, in other words, I think to begin at the beginning. And that is to say, Jesus Christ wants me to be happy. He wants me to be fulfilled. Now, how God defines happiness and how God defines fulfillment is different from how we do. And that's precisely the point. But if you start off not by saying, okay, I've got to find the way that God defines it. But if you start off saying, I'm not entitled for fulfillment, that my weaknesses are bigger than my strengths, and that what's inside of me in terms of the weight on my shoulders is bigger than the upward fire that God has put inside of my chest. Well, yeah, then, then I mean, what kind of friend are you going to be for the Son of Man? You know, I mean, he's called you in order to follow him. And you're going to say, no, I'm not going to follow you because if I follow you, I'll be happy. <laughs> That's what a lot of us do, right? God's like, I want your children to know love. And we check out and we say, you know what? I, I've distorted love in my life. I don't even deserve to try a second time. And so because of that, what happens? I don't show my children love. And it's because deep down, I don't think that I have the right to try to be a Christian. That, my friends, that's the beginning. That's the starting point. You have the right to be a Christian. He has died for you to give you that immense grace to say, you are my son and there is nothing on this earth that is greater than my love for you. And there's nothing in your life or in your past that's greater than my love for you. You've got to let go of your failings and lay hold of his grace reaching out to you from the cross. So that if you do that, you, you restore deep down inside that aspiration that's the beginning of holiness. When Christ comes, in other words, into our life, he comes in order to invite us to go deeper with him, not to pull back. Can you imagine if he walked past Simon Peter and he sees Simon Peter and he sees Andrew in the boat? He sees James and John in the boat. And what if he were to tell them, if you were, if you were to look over there and then say, you know what? Don't follow me. Stay there. You know what I mean? Like, we'd all be like, oh my gosh, he totally, you know, uh, uh, disregarded these apostles. And, you know, he didn't care about them. He didn't love them. Stay back. I don't want you to follow me. Well, I mean, like we said, that's a lack of love. All right. Well, then how is it a, like, a, a love for you to say that since I did something in second grade or since I did something when I was 32, I cannot follow him anymore? I mean, that's a lack of love, right? It's not Jesus who's saying you stay back. It's you who's saying to yourself, you stay back. And that's a problem. Because when you are not engaged in following Jesus, for whatever reason, be it a good reason or a bad reason, a good reason in your own mind, because every reason is a bad reason compared to his grace. But at the same time, like, right, as soon as we do that and we start getting into that logic of just defeatism, well, it's not God who has rejected us. It's us who has rejected, who have rejected ourselves. And my friends, then, then it's like the, the, the devil doesn't even have to do any work. He's like fundamentally lazy. What the devil wants to do, he's like, all right, I'm just going to convince everybody to do my job for me. 
My job is to keep you from actually trying. So what I'm going to do is just convince you to not try. <laughs> and then I won't have to do my job. Yeah. And so that's what we do, right? We just, we just don't try anymore. I mean, because I feel weak. I just feel like I want to give up. I, I, I should feel weak. I, I count myself out. And so we watch everybody else on the playing field trying. And we're sitting in the stands saying, I don't deserve to be on the field. This day, that's got to change. Right? Because you cannot enter into the gospel and the gospel message thinking to yourself that this has nothing to do with me becoming a better person. Me becoming a better man, a better woman for God. Right? The the very first beginning, the prerequisite of hearing the call of Christ in your life is that you think that you are able to hear it. And that that call means something to you. My friend, pick up your mat and go home. Rise, daughter. This is like, uh, uh, this is something fundamental, I think, about the whole Christian journey that says this. If you're not willing to win, you won't be willing to try. If you want to win, you've got to be willing to try. What do I need in order to try? I need to have that desire deep down inside for the good that I'm trying to obtain. That good that's laid up for me in Christ. I got to get back, in other words, into an authentic love for myself. And, and I know when I say that, right, a lot of us, we immediately think we're not supposed to love ourselves. If I love myself, I'd be selfish. If I love myself, I would suddenly like knock everyone else out, right? I'd be just like some, some uh, I don't know, diva in the, in the grocery store. And I'm just pushing everybody out of my way as I'm filling up my, my little grocery basket with everything on the shelves because it's all about me. No, no, no. That's not it. You see, self-love is not an obstacle to love. It's the requirement in order for me to love. Why? Because if I don't love myself, I will never try to have communion with someone as good, as beautiful, as wonderful as you. What would give me the right to claim you as a friend if I don't think I have the right for anything good? I know that you're good. Right? It's kind of like, the, the, it'd be like if we had the, the, the famous book, right? I'm okay, you're okay. And it would be like you saying, you're okay, but I'm not okay. Well, that's wonderful. I basically put you up on a pedestal and I will never try to have a friendship with you because I don't think that I have that in me. And so when God comes to me and he says, I'm in the blessed sacrament, the most holy Eucharist, open your mouth and I will fill it with my love. We refrain. We say, no, 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 I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to mass. I'm not going to say my prayers. I'm not going to teach my children about Jesus. I'm not even going to open my Bible. Why? Because I don't deserve it. Oh, my friends, this is, this is what's so beautiful about Christianity. None of us deserve it. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Take a look at Romans chapter 4. All men have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. What a refreshing word that is. I mean, of course, like, right, it's extremely sad. Yeah, we, we, we don't want everyone to sin and fall short of the glory of God. But at the same time, how refreshing it is for me to hear at the same time that God knew and God understood that I would sin when he made me and he made me still. Why would he make me still if he knew I was going to sin? It's because he knew that despite my sin, and I would even say through the mercy that he shows after my sin, he can bring out a greater marvel of humility and of grace. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one among them, not one, who is without sin. That now, of course, you can always remember our lady was without sin. Our Lord was without sin. Uh, you, you know, so it's like, but the, the point that he's making here is that we need to accept that for all the rest of us, <laughs> I mean, God will work through our failures to show us a mercy that can bring us to an intimacy with him. That is unparalleled, unique. The intimacy that St. Paul had with his Savior who saved him when he was on the path to bring Christians into prison. He was saying, it says in the Acts of the Apostle that Paul or Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Murderous threats. I mean, St. Paul knew the taste of sin. And when Jesus came into his life, he claimed that heart of Paul for himself. That Paul no longer lived just for him, Paul. No, he would say in Galatians chapter 2, it is no longer I who live, I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I live now is a life of faith in the Son of God. Where did he get that fire for Jesus? He got it because Jesus showed him mercy. And my friends, he wants to show you mercy today. I don't know what, what it is that's keeping you back from trying. What form of apathy that you're in. What's keeping you back from entering into that arena of life, of Christianity, of getting up off of your couch, getting out and engaging those relationships. I don't know, but you know. And if you don't know, you need to know. We all need to be able to identify our enemy if we're going to overcome him. The only enemy that will not be overcome by a Christian is the one that he does not combat. If you think an enemy has got you down, alcoholism, addiction to food, I don't know what it could be, a sin that you committed, someone who hasn't forgiven you, a vice that just got you gripped, I don't know what it could be. But whatever it is you think that, that's got you, if you identify and you look at that in the eye, you can then pin it to the cross of Jesus Christ. You can claim his precious blood on that and Jesus Christ will war with you against that. He does not intend you to stay bound. When he was baptized, he was given a spirit of liberation. I have come to set captives free. Well, that means you and me. Do you want to be well? Jesus asks the man, at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be well? I'm asking you today. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be set free? 
See, it, it, because what's going to come down to is you're going to say perhaps, I don't know, and may you not, but there's some here who are going to be saying, well, you know what? No, actually, I don't want to be set free. And that's exactly the only bond that Jesus will not break. It's the one that you don't bring to him to be broken. He will forgive every sin under heaven. Save the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That means the one who refuses to come to his mercy. The sin that I won't trust him with. The apathy in my heart. This is what keeps me from living out the gospel. This is what keeps me from, from, from understanding things. That's why I'm going after that apathy first. We can't enter into a retreat. We can't enter into a day of recollection. We can't enter into a new path of life, that, which is all marked out for us by Christ if we don't want it. Name the pain. Name your pain. Bring it to your God. Have that, have that courage. If you're really that hurt, if you're really that upset, if you're really that broken down, all right, then get mad enough to bring it to Jesus and to say, my God, here it is. Because if I can bring it to Jesus, then he can bring the love of God to me. I want to read you a, a poem it's, it speaks just so well to this. And it's a poem that I find as I travel across the country, so many of the, of the business leaders and so many of the people that are trying to do things with their lives that are extraordinary, they'll actually have this poem. And it's, it's an amazing piece. It's originally written as a speech from Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, president. I want you just to read this and I want you to let the words kind of go deep down in your soul because I think that this this is an expression of what's necessary for me to begin to walk after Jesus Christ. It's what's necessary for me to have inside again so that when the man with eyes like flames of fire looks into my soul, I open it and let him take hold. It goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually Strive to do the deeds. Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions. Who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. May God bless you. May he inspire you to dare great things for Christ his Son. Amen. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info 
at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.